9, the promised glory of the new house. On the 21st day of the seventh month of the word, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The Word of God. Before we uh, dive into Haggai 2, I wanted to mention a couple things. Uh, first of all, in your bulletin, there's a prayer request for Jake Strecker. Um, some of you already know this, but some of you may not, but Jake passed away on Thursday night. And, uh, and so just want to pass that information on to you so that, um, so that you could continue to pray for, uh, for his family and uh, as they grieve and as they mourn during this time. Um, we'll be, there'll be some sort of service, some sort of event that will happen here at the church. We're not exactly sure the date yet, but we're just trying to, we'll coordinate that this week as well with the family. Uh, so, and we'll let you know when that's going to be. I also want to let you know, um, some of you may not be aware, but Jerry and Allison Spence are in, uh, they're, they're in Vancouver right now uh, visiting their daughter Casey. And Casey, a week and a half ago, had uh, tumors removed from her brain. And, uh, but they did some more testing and, and they found uh, 24 metastasized um, tumor, or 24 metastasized lesions on her brain and, and a variety of different tumors throughout her body. And, and so... Uh, as you can imagine, they're pretty devastated, and, and so they, I've asked if I could share that, and so I, I, they've given me permission to share that information. But if you would pray for them, uh, we're going to pray for them, pray for both the Strecker family and for uh, Jerry and Allison and Casey and their family as well now. Um, but just want you to know those things so that you could be praying for them uh, during this time. So God, we want to, um, we recognize that, that there's people in our church who are struggling and who are grieving, who are hurting, who are mourning. And, and we pray for your, your compassion over them. We pray for your grace over them. Lord, we know that, that, um, that in situations like these that are, that are difficult, that are painful, um, that only you can be the one to bring comfort. That as much as we have tried to offer different things and different ways to, to um, soothe God, we know that it's your Holy Spirit that can, that's the most effective. And so, God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be over the Strecker family. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be over Jerry and Allison, Casey, and their family as well. 
Lord, that they would be able to experience your presence in a way that only they could attribute to your goodness and your, and your character, God. Lord, we, we, on, uh, we intercede on their behalf. And, and we pray that you would meet them exactly where they're at, this, this, even this morning, Jesus. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, I, we're going to collect the, the communication cards. One of the things I just want to highlight here is if you could um, just, if you've circled a number at the bottom of the communication cards, could you just write your name on it so that we know uh, who it is that has circled the numbers? That just makes it a little bit challenging for us to be able to figure out who that belongs to if, we, if there's no name attached to it. So, um, so if you could pass those to the center aisles or to the outside aisles, uh, outside aisles. Uh, one of our ushers, maybe the one in the orange shirt who's leaving the sanctuary right now, cool, great. <laughs> Maybe, Josh, would you be able to do that for me? Mike and Jairus, would you guys be able to do that as well? We're still, we're, we're still trying to figure out the kinks and work out the kinks on this. Oh, he got baskets. That's what he was up to. Thank you for your participation in that. Also want to mention that, um, that our elders met uh, two Thursdays ago. And, uh, and the elders affirmed Jason Klukas as our new moderator of the church. And so we're uh, excited to have him as, as the moderator and for the way that he's going to lead us and, and uh, lead the elders as well. So congratulations, Jason. And uh, we're excited to have your, your heart of humility and for Jesus leading us uh, during this next season. So thank you. Uh, yeah. And also want to point out that uh, Reini Isler has been, was also affirmed as the vice moderator in those times where uh, Jason may not be available. So I don't know if well, Reini is here. So, just letting, so thank you, Reini, for your willingness to, to um, stand as the vice moderator as well. Well, throughout this month, we have been exploring this concept that God is constantly at work in our lives. That regardless of our age, regardless of our gender, our culture, our past faithfulness to him, that God is still active and wants to do something in our lives. Two weeks ago at our church kickoff, we, we explored Luke chapter 5, and we, we considered the question that if God wants to pour new wine, his, his, his Holy Spirit, inside of us, that we might need new wine skins in order, to, in order for that to happen, in order to, to hold the new wine that he wants to pour in us. In the midst of that question, though, we've also been asking this, this other question. But what happens when God calls us into tough stuff? Where we, would, where we have been considering that even though the idea of new wine and new wineskins is good and we long for it and we say, yes, that's what we want, we desire. We also recognize that life is not always easy. In fact, sometimes God calls us into tough stuff. And it becomes a way that, that God uses to stretch that wineskin out so that we can hold the new wine that he wants to pour inside of us. And so last week as we began our series on Haggai, we explored the question, what happens when God calls us to tough stuff? If you're trying to find the book of Haggai, use your table of contents. It's, it's only two chapters long. It's the third last book of the Old Testament. It's in this book that we begin to see how God had called his people to rebuild his temple after the Babylonians destroyed it during the Babylonian exile. We also saw that if the Jews were willing to rebuild the temple, that God would be present with them while they built it and beyond. We considered the possibility that the Jews had one of two choices 
with the call that God was extending to them. They could either walk through the tough stuff with God, or they could run away without him. They could walk through the tough stuff with God, or they could run away without him. And what we see from the people of Judah is that they chose to walk through the tough stuff with God. For those of you that, that, are, that may not know this, but our church every year does a, a picnic, um, a family picnic. We go out to, last, earlier this year we went to Edworthy Park and we had a time where we just kind of had a food together and we played games and just had a, had a great time together. During the time that I was sharing, I talked about how our family had started running. We had just, been, we had just started in May, and we started running, and, and that all of us hated it. Now, what I didn't mention was that one of the, the reasons why we started running was I had set this, I, I had this really ridiculous goal in my mind that I would, at some point I would love to do a triathlon. As you can tell by my physique, i got a long way to go. But as I was considering this goal of, of running a triathlon, my wife Natalie said, well, why don't you start, why don't you just try to do some running first? Because let's just start there. Let's not, take, let's not go crazy. And, and so, uh, as you can see, I'm not really built as a runner. I'm more like a TV watcher or a fisherman or something. That's more my, my, my speed. Um, but, I, but I set this goal for myself at the beginning of, this, of, the, of the year that I was going to run 10 kilometers straight without stopping. And, and so that was, that was my ambition. That was, that's what the requirement is for a triathlon. So I was going so to start, I was, my goal was 10 kilometers. And the first couple of weeks that we started running, I was pretty sure I was going to die. My, my lung capacity was stretched. My muscles felt weak and frail. And my general attitude towards this whole idea was, this sucks, and this was, I was just miserable. But what I noticed was that each week, my distance kept getting longer and longer. And my speed per kilometer was actually improving. Not a lot, <laughs> but I was actually beginning to see my goal being attained. And I continued to run pretty faithfully throughout the summer. Every, I'd run every other day. And then about two weeks ago, just before the long weekend, I thought, you know, I'm getting pretty close to this goal. I wonder if I could do it today. So I set out my, for my run, and I got to the eight-kilometer mark, and oh, I'm doing, feeling pretty good right now. And then I got to the nine-kilometer mark, and hey, I, feel it. I can start to feel it in my legs, but I'm, but I'm doing okay. And I kept running, and nine and a half kilometers, and I got to 10 kilometers. I thought, you know, I can actually go a little farther, I think. And so I went, I actually ran to my vehicle, and I did 10 and a half kilometers of straight running. It's about just over an hour. My muscles were tired. My lung capacity was still stretched. My attitude was still the same. This is horrible. I hate this. But what happened for me, though, was that it revealed to me that even though that, that goal was difficult, that even though it was painful to, to pursue that, that I had exactly what I needed each time that I ran. I didn't have more, but I didn't have less either. When I first started running, I didn't have the capacity to run the full 10 kilometers. But instead, I, I needed exactly, I, was, I had exactly what I needed to slowly advance towards it. And I think that's often how God provides for us as we go through difficult things in our lives where he provides exactly what we need in that day, in that moment, that situation, 
that conversation. And I think the struggle for most of us, though, is that when we go through the tough stuff of life, we want it to be over as quickly and painlessly as possible. We don't want the tough stuff, we don't want it to be the tough stuff, we want it to be, you know, the mildly inconvenient stuff, or the slightly annoying stuff. Even that sometimes is a stretch, though. And the Israelites in this passage are no different. Where we begin to see this mentality creep into the Israelites, where building the temple had proven to be more challenging than they were anticipating. Where although the Israelites didn't say anything in those first nine, they don't actually, there's, there's no, it seems like there's a dialogue happening in, chap, in Haggai chapter 2. But the Israelites actually haven't said a word yet. It's just God speaking to Haggai for Haggai to speak to the Israelites. But you see, what's happening is God is beginning to observe within the leaders and the people of Judah that something needs to be addressed here. Where something has, something has begun to shift with the, the, the people of Israel that, they, that, that um, within the first three weeks, that, that, let me try that again, something has shifted with when they said they were going to follow, when they were going to follow God into building the temple, something has changed over the, over the course of three weeks where we see in chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, that, they're beginning to, that the temple building process has not gone as smoothly and as well as they had hoped it would. And what we can conclude from God's message here from, in Haggai is that, is that these people that, that God is talking to through Haggai are discouraged and they're disheartened. That God had told them to build the temple in, in Haggai 1. But it's not going as quickly as they had expected. That there was no miracles, there was no angels from heaven, there was, no, there was not an army of people that would suddenly showed up to help them build the temple. The people were left to their own devices to build this temple. They still needed to go to the mountains and, and retrieve the cedar. They still needed to move the enormous rocks to build the foundation for the temple. And it seems as though it's that the whole process of building, building this temple is moving slower than they were wanting it to. But on top of that discouragement, the people were disheartened because the assumption from the people was that the temple was that they were going to build was going to be as magnificent and as glorious as the original temple was when Solomon built it. And so God recognizes the discouragement and disheartenedness and asks them three questions to begin to address what was happening inside of their hearts. So he asked these three questions. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? And does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? So let's explore these first three questions for a second. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? The answer to that question is that there's not many people who have seen it in its original glory. That was about over 70 years ago. And so most of the people who have who had seen the original temple would be in their 70s, 80s, 90s. Most of the people that were there hadn't seen the temple when it was originally built. Second question, well, how do you see it now? Well, they don't. It's not built. That's the problem. There's some foundational blocks that have been established and been built, put into place 18 years earlier when the temple was first started. But for the most part, it looks pretty underwhelming especially in light of what the elders are remembering, especially what, what the, the people who are 70, 80, and 90-year-olds are, are saying, that's, that's, that's it? That's all we got? Because I remember back when I was a kid, back in my day, the temple was impressive. 
That's just a pile of rubble right, then, right now. And the third question, does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? And this question is actually speaking the hearts of the people. They're saying, that's the problem. That's why they're disheartened. It seems like they'll never be able to duplicate the glory of the previous temple. And in these three questions, God is beginning to, to recalibrate begin to recalibrate their expectations for the temple and the process of building the temple. I don't know how many of you have had an expectation of something, and in your mind it was supposed to be way better than it was after it turned out. Maybe it was a sentimental attachment to some food or a movie that you watched when you were younger and then you watched it again and that was horrible. Or maybe a location you went to when you were a child and you have such fond memories of it and you go back and you think, that's it, hey? I had that experience two years ago when uh, Natalie and, and I and the kids, we were on sabbatical and we went to Tofino you know, on Vancouver Island. And I remember going there as a kid when I was a teenager and, and thinking, this is a really interesting place. And, and it just like just very interesting people and lots of things to do that were just really unique from anything that I experienced growing up in, in Alberta. But then I remember, and then when we went back two years ago, that was the first time I had been back, and I thought, boy, this is very different than I remember. This is, this is, where, this is like a place where hippies become super hippies. <laughs> like, there, there's hippies on, on Vancouver Island, but then there's, like, really hippies in, in Tofino. And it was just this much different vibe than I remember, and, I, and I, it just didn't match what I was expecting or anticipating. And the Israelites had their own experience with unmet expectations as well. Because things weren't going as well as the Israelites were expecting after a three-week period. The people, just, the people needed a little bit of a pep talk. And it's in these three questions that God begins to refocus or recalibrate the leadership and the people back on track with rebuilding the temple. And then after these questions, God gives the same directive to three different people. He says, be strong. Now the Hebrew word used here is the word hazak, which means stand firm or don't give up. Implied in this, in this, in this word is this validation that the discouragement and disheartenedness that they're feeling in this moment is understandable. It's an acknowledgement that God understands what's going on in their lives. It says, be strong. And I think this has this connotation that, that, that they're going to get, you'll get through this, guys. It's almost like God coming alongside of them and saying, you got this. I believe you can, get, you can get through this. Just don't give up now. And although these, these words don't change the circumstances for the Jews in any way, that doesn't build the temple any faster. The cedar in the mountains isn't suddenly delivered to them by angels. These questions and this directive from God reveals to us that sometimes what we need more than a change of circumstances is to know that there's hope. To know that someone empathizes with us. To know that we aren't alone in the midst of the tough stuff. And as much as God provides for our physical means to accomplish his plans and purpose in our lives, which I believe he does at times, 
He also provides the right people in our lives at the right time. He provides the right word we need to hear in the certain moments. He provides the right encouragement we need to experience in order to move forward. He provides the right resources we need in order to walk through the tough stuff that God calls us into. And sometimes we don't even know how God has provided for us until after we are through it. I have a picture here that we're going to throw up. It's a picture of some embroidery artwork. If you look on one side, maybe, we'll, maybe we have it. Maybe. There we go. So we have this picture. On the one side, if you, look at, if you were to look at a piece of embroidery artwork, it, it looks like it's a mess. It looks just, there's, there's strings hanging everywhere, there's knots everywhere. It looks like it was sewn by Ray Charles. But if you flip it around, it's, it's, it changes the perspective. Where, where the one side looks like a mess, suddenly it changes it to a work of art. And I think sometimes our lives, when our lives can feel like when we're discouraged and, and disheartened, when we feel like we're going through the tough stuff, it often feels like this tangled mess on the left side. But here's the incredible thing about God's providence. It's that he knows exactly what we need even before we knew we needed it. Where God is busy orchestrating and redeeming something beautiful out of chaos, out of the mess. And the circumstances of our lives never catch God off guard. He's never surprised by the situations in our lives. He suddenly just doesn't realize, oh my goodness, they're in a lot of trouble right now. They're in some tough stuff. That doesn't catch God off guard. He is aware of the most minute details of our lives. And even if it looks like a mess to us, God is divinely orchestrating all things according to his divine purpose and his divine will. Which means that the tough stuff that you and I go through, the tough stuff that you are going through right now, God is aware of it. He is walking with you through it. He is providing exactly what you need to accomplish the purpose he wants to accomplish in your life. No matter how messy it seems to us, no matter how discouraging things seem, no matter how hopeless and bleak things might be, God still redeems and accomplishes his will. I'm going to say that again because someone here needs to hear this. No matter how messy it seems to you, no matter how discouraging things are right now, no matter how hopeless and bleak things seem like they are right now, God still redeems and accomplishes his will. He is the ruler, controller, and sustainer of all things. His providence extends towards us in all circumstances because he is active and present in this world today. But if you're like me and the Israelites, when we're going through the tough stuff, you might be asking, God, why did you call me into this? I feel like I'm just barely keeping my head above water. This is, this is going way longer than I ever expected. Or sometimes we think, when, when I agreed to follow you, Jesus, I thought you would protect me from painful seasons like this. And much like the Israelites in Haggai 2, God calls them to be strong, but then he gives them a second directive. It's kind of hidden in there, but he says, and work. Be strong and work. 
the reality is, is that when we get discouraged and defeated and disheartened, it's really easy to want to quit and walk away from everything because it's just too much. I can't tell you how many young people, how many parents, how many adults I've talked to who when things get difficult, all they want to do is just, I'm just going to leave the church. I'm just going to walk away from Jesus because that seems to be easier. It's Jesus who has brought me through this or brought me into this. If I I walk away from Jesus, maybe I'll just do it myself. But God's directive here is to work. And he's saying, he's calling the people here to get moving. He's saying, don't walk away from me. Don't run away from me. Instead, lean into me. Walk with me now. Embrace the presence that I'm giving. Saying, begin to, and the word that he uses here for the word work is this word create. And we see this laced throughout the Old Testament, specifically in the creation account. And he's saying, be strong, but get building now. Be strong. Start, start doing what you agreed to, what I called you into. Be strong, but just keep moving. And what we see here is that often in those times when we're ready to give up, God just wants us to just to take just one more step. Because maybe it's in that one more step that, God, that we realize after we take that step and we look back and say, you know, I was ready to quit back there. But God, was, God strengthened me. He sustained me through that next step. And then we take another step. And we realize he's helped me through two steps when I didn't think I could go two steps farther. And then a third step. And we begin to see this pattern where God provides exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. That God is sustaining us when all we want to do is stop running with him. And as we experience God's providence, it affirms his engagement in our lives and affirms the truth of Scripture. Passages like 1 Chronicles 29.11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. And these verses remind us that everything that God provides for us is an expression of his presence in our lives. The providence is a fruit of his grace and mercy in our lives. It becomes, because providence is an expression of his character. Now the tension that most of us walk through most of us face as we walk through the tough stuff is that it's usually based around our circumstances where something has happened in our lives that has created this level of discomfort that we don't want to experience any longer. The tough stuff that God calls us into affects our circumstances because sometimes, because sometimes we're hard to get, it's hard to get our attention. Sometimes we need a change in circumstances so that we might be a little bit more open to what he wants to do in us. Can I also say that sometimes I don't know why we have to go through tough stuff. I don't know why Jerry and Allison and Casey have to go through cancer. I don't know why people, why people, why bad things happen to good people. I can give spiritual platitudes, but I don't know why sometimes we have to go through the tough stuff. 
And as we consider the questions and the directives from God to be strong and work, I can't help but wonder if the larger question that you and I need to wrestle with as we walk through the tough stuff is this. Are you being glorified through me, God? Are you being glorified through me? God, if you are present and you are providing in all circumstances, are you being glorified by me as I stay strong and work? As I work through the tough stuff that you've called me to? Am I, am I glorifying you as I do that? Am I glorifying you in my obedience and my faithfulness to you? And as we, as we consider that question, I believe our eyes shift from ourselves and our circumstances and our kingdom onto God and his kingdom. And it's our longing to bring glory to God as we walk through the tough stuff that we live out the character of Christ. It's Jesus that models for us how to obediently walk through the tough stuff that God calls us to. And we see see Jesus in Matthew chapter 26 crying out to God in the Garden of Gethsemane hours before his crucifixion, wrestling with the same tension that you and I wrestle with as you and I walk through the tough stuff. Take this burden from me. But as Jesus calls out to the Father, Jesus finds the strength to take that one more step, to walk through the toughest stuff so that you and I don't have to. And his response is not as I will, but as you will. Can I say this morning that some of you are going through some incredibly tough stuff? Your finances are crippling. You've been devastated in your marriages. You're in a relationship. You have relationships with someone that is just really tumultuous right now. Maybe your employment or or lack of employment has made you disheartened and discouraged. Maybe you have gotten news this week that that you haven't shared with anyone yet and you're not sure how to pass that on. Some of you need to hear the words that the Israelites heard in Haggai 2. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't give up. Keep working with the tough, keep working through the tough stuff with me. invite the worship team to come on up. This morning, some of you are are going through some tough stuff. And you're in a difficult season and I want to offer maybe two ways that I think God is using this church to provide for people who are going through the tough stuff. One is in the area of small groups. I think one of the greatest acts of provision that God gives is other people. Community. where people, will, people who will walk with us, people who will listen, people who will encourage us, and at times people who will even push us just to take that one step further, just to keep moving. Small groups are basically just small pictures of the church. 10 to 15 people. It's an opportunity for you to be encouraged, to know that you aren't alone, 
that you have people in your corner supporting you. That God has placed a community around you to help you journey through the tough stuff. It's also a great opportunity for you to draw closer to Jesus as you study his word together. As you draw strength in his presence, as you seek his will individually, but also collectively as a group. That's one. Second is prayer. After every service, we, have, we make this space available for people to receive prayer. Where you can come and seek after God. Where you can receive prayer for strength, courage. Whatever it is that you need to walk through the things God has called you into. I've got to say that as I was praying through, praying about yesterday, praying about this morning, yesterday, and I was thinking about my message, I just wasn't happy with some of the things that I had, what I had, some of the content that I had, and so I had to work some things around, and, and I just felt like the Spirit of God was just saying, you know, just, just pray together. I thought, how beautiful would that be if we could just say, you know what, let's just scrap the sermon and let's just start praying for each other. How beautiful would that be? And I just felt like God was just telling me just to provide space during, the, during our service just for prayer, just to pray for each other. Some of you this morning, this message has resonated with you in some way. Where you are walking through some tough stuff. And you are discouraged, you are disheartened, you're defeated. You're walking through some tough stuff and, and, you, and, you just, and, you know, and you need to know that you aren't alone. You need to know that there is hope. So what we're going to do is we're going to provide a space, provide time now, where if you would like prayer, if, you, if that is you, would you just put up your hand? And we'll just have some music playing in the background. And what I would ask is that, that if, there's, if someone around you put up, puts up their hand, would you just as the church come around them and pray for them? I don't know. There's no plants or anything here. I don't know what the response will be, but I do sense that God was wanting us to do this. And so as we consider this time where we can just pray for each other, those of you that are debating about whether you should put up your hand. First of all, you can share as much or as little as you would like. If you don't want to share anything, we'll just know that you just need prayer. We'll just, we'll just pray for God's presence in your life. Additionally, if, if, if you are considering putting up your hand, would you allow us as the church to be God's provision in your life this morning? So, if you would like prayer this morning, would you put up your hand? So there's some hands up there. If you, if, would you, folks, would you, if people just surround them and just cover them in prayer? If you would like to um, if you're at a point where you're, maybe I'm not ready to put my hand up yet, feel free to put your, put your hand up later as well. Feel, hold your hand up, please, so we can, so we can do that now. Let me get the guys to play some music. And...